Backstories is an annual multi-sided storytelling festival located in the suburbs of Perth and beyond. Produced by the team at Centre for Stories, Backstories gives community members the chance to spend an afternoon with friends and family in the comfort of a neighbour's backyard and enjoy hearing local music and stories from trained storytellers. Backstories was possible with generous support from our sponsors, Lottery West, the Department of Local Government, Sport and Cultural Industries, and the Centre for Stories Founders Circle. This is a live recording of our Backstories event located in the suburb of Southern River. Recorded on the 13th of March 2021, this afternoon featured live music from Lucas Jones and emceeing from Chris Lynn. The story you're about to hear is from Raphael. Hi, uh, my name is, I prefer to be called Raf or Rafa, it's easier on me. Um, so I decided to do this story because I uh, was trying to figure out something to talk about. And around last month, uh, I think, was definitely brought it into focus. So when I was trying to think about what could I talk about regarding last year in 2020, and so I went into this um, trying to think what could I talk about and that I haven't not already talked about <laughs> regarding 2020. And so it was, I think... Because I wanted to address the fact that, yes, I'm also uh, autistic. And the thing about autistic people that a lot of people often conceive the idea of is that we don't like being touched or we, do, or we uh, don't have emotions. The thing I like to address the fact is that I am a hugger and I love hugs. And, it's a, and a hug is what usually gets me through the most stressful and most anxious times in my life. And so how I framed this story is that it ha as i remembering what happened to me last year. Last year, I was moving out from the first time in my life to, out of my family home. And coincidentally, my dad just reminded me today that on Monday, this Monday coming, will be a year ago when I was moved into, into my new apartment. So that was a lot to remind, to remember. <laughs> but around the time I moved last year, I was also, because um, there was a lot of stress trying to think about furniture and such, but also the fact that I was also dealing with um, juggling two jobs um, at the time. But then, the pandemic happened and I was forced into my apartment abruptly and without not and reluctantly. And also I was made redundant in both jobs. Now, what happened was and I when I needed that support and especially when I need that hug, I um, and I was a bit denied that because of the social distancing and isolation. Now, this, now, in light of what happened last month, when we had that little mini lockdown uh, last month, it reminded me, because it coincidentally happened to me, something happened to me back in New York in 2017, in February. It was the last time I went overseas, actually. And I remembered when, it was that time when I lost my phone, my wallet, and my passport at JFK. <laughs> in, so um, combined with jet lag and uh, 
lack of uh, initiative from the other passengers. I remembered I was getting really stressed because the only, because I also checked that the only I, form of ID I had on me was the itinerary, my sister's credit card details, so that way I can have a roof over my head, and my old iPod. So when I was booking into the hotel and I was really frazzled and stressed, I remembered that I was uh, with the fear that the, from the concierge telling me that they can only book me in for one night and if the, uh, the credit card details don't um, add up. So I had that fear of being kicked out the next day. So the next day, I was also back and forth with um, using uh, the Wi-Fi on my iPod to be able to contact my, um, my, my family overseas. And so back home in Perth. So as you can see, my sisters are just standing there. <laughs> um, so let's wave hi. Um, so uh, my sister Raquel, she, um, she, just, she offered to take an emergency flight to help me out. And so, cause I just, I was desperate. So I just said yes. And on the other side, my parents also um, contacted, you know, you know, friends and family because we're Latinos. We have a big connect, connection, uh, like a big community. Uh, my mom contacted a family friend of hers and who contacted her friend in New York. And my dad, he contacted his cousin in El Salvador who had a daughter living in Long Island, New York. So... It was uh, It was just rare because we never really knew. I didn't really knew much about that. I had family in New York. We had some in other places, but it was a rarity that we found out. Oh, we had family in New York after all. Um, I remembered that that day on Valentine's Day. I it was Valentine's Day, so it was the day after I came in. I remembered that I was so traumatized by what happened that I didn't eat the whole day. I was like pale. I was like. So in complete shell shock and also the fruitless phone calls to the lost and found department from JFK because clearly they didn't find my stuff. And then I finally got to meet um, my distant cousins who are really lovely ladies. And I think we were able to, being on with familiar um, family people and so, sorry, mumbled. Uh, so after we went out, because I haven't eaten, so, and so after I, finally felt a little bit better. They, they lent me some money, and, uh, and I think I was given some advice uh, while my sister was in flight that just to spend some time just to relax. So what I did was I, the day before my sister came, I just um, went around through Central Park, and it was, it, this was during winter, so it was the snow covered, the grass, and it was also really nice and quiet, and also the winter air was like really. It was if it was felt therapeutic, and so I felt that. So for from for a few hours, I didn't feel like I was completely stressed out. It was probably a few hours later when I met up with my sister in the lobby at the hotel, and we went to her hotel room and we just ch chatted for a bit. I finally dropped my guard and I broke down in tears. And just being able to get a hug from her sort of kind of helped me feel a little bit better from all of that. And so the next few days, we uh, had to go through a lot of things. Like we had to talk to the embassy. We 
And she actually found better connections to the lost and found or to the Port Authority. And they were able to, we didn't learn this later until after we got an emergency passport for me. But uh, they found my stuff, everything intact and nothing stolen. So it was just like miracle or like a relief. And at the round, a few times, we also, um, we were able to get to know um, the, our distant relatives and while we were there, even going to Chelsea, which was really nice. So then I thought that made me feel better. And so I thought, I hoped to myself, I vowed one day to go back to redeem myself after what happened in the la that, that time. And I thought this time I was aware. What I was aware of was that those events left me with a huge, like, like a scar, a mental scar that reminded me of what happened. But also it just, it almost felt like traumatic to trick, like a trigger. So I didn't think it happened and I didn't really get bothered by it because uh, for years I thought I was fine after that. Alas, last year and also in conjunction with last month because last month I didn't feel anything. But to tell me to tell you why I didn't feel anything last last month and compared to last year was that last year, just as I was going through all that move and also the while still working at a job, one that I liked and one that just helped me pay the bills. And um, while I it was like the first two weeks felt like so stressful, and I was like, and because especially when they added the social distancing and the isolation, the fact that when I needed that hug really badly and I couldn't get it from my family members, I remembered I was still on an inflated couch, um, which I still have, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, I remembered being in that inflated couch on the first few nights um, in my apartment that I broke down again. But because it also felt like it reopened that old scar from New York. And so I just felt like I couldn't stop control. I couldn't control the tears. They just kept flowing and flowing. And it's like every time I think of trying to think, it just kind of keeps coming back like, a, like on replay. So um, I'm just trying to remember where else. I think just for the two months um, before the phase one thing, I remember that I was trying to make ends meet, trying to, you know, trying to do some hobbies to make, let my mind, my mind pass, pass the time. Of course, I also developed the unhealthy habit of hovering near the fridge and uh, the cabinets because there was nothing much I could do. And that resulted in me gaining some weight um, that I've been trying really hard to lose so far. I think I remembered was that it was just very, it was just constantly that that was just how it was for two months. And then before the phase one happened, I remembered was that my mom, the only way she could contact, she could, um, you know, can't communicate with me either by phone call and getting used to those zoom chats, but that was with regarding other stuff. But I remember that uh, she could only meet me at the apartment parking lot and only through her car that she could talk to me. I really wanted to get a hug from her so badly, but I couldn't. So getting the clothes and some extra stuff. And then suddenly 
my mom just got out of the car as if by instinct. And the thing was, it was like a, because this was the day I got my long overdue hug that I've had to deal with, not, I've been lacking for two months. And so we, so we were worried that if anyone was going to look and maybe rat us out to, oh, because like, oh, you're, you're supposed to keep your distance or such. But it was like we, and we just had that long overdue hug, like that I really craved. And I remember the choking feeling in my, in my throat and the tears started pouring down. It was like the two months of stress had finally started to wash away. I remember that both me and my mom were also tearing up because we were both really. And um, I do remember that it just felt a relief afterwards. So when phase one was implemented and up to 10 people in a house, and that was, that was my family. That was uh, my parents, me, my sisters, my older sister's family, her husband and her three boys, and uh, my other sister and her boyfriend. So it was just us, and we had to do the whole um, social distancing as per regulations, and even my nephews had to understand that. But I remembered the first family nine was that my youngest nephew, Matthew, who was seven, he didn't understand at the time what was going on. And he just, because he missed all of us because we've been social distancing for two, for two months. And he just gave all of us a warm little cuddle each. And so it just, it felt so nice to be able to get that again. And so what I, because like I said, talking about it more is just, it's kind of lessened the blow of the, uh, the anxiety that I used to have, especially like last month, how I didn't feel it anymore. But um, I think I, the, what I like to tell about is that since those, because when reminding myself of what happened to me in New York and what happened last year shows that I've been able to get through that. And that it's, I just, I've developed that resilience and that mostly, yes, I don't show many physical scars, but I have a lot of the emotional ones, but those emotional scars can easily be remedied by a simple hug. And sometimes if you know someone that really needs that hug badly, you just give it to them. Um, and so for me, the way I can end this is that I still do have those scars, those anxiety scars, but they don't hurt as much as before. So. Thank you for listening. Centre for Stories is a not-for-profit organisation with charitable status. Our team is small and nimble and we love what we do. To help us continue doing what we love, consider a small donation. You can donate at centreforstories.com.